All right, so this is just a one-off message. Uh, Next week, we're going to start our series in Ephesians. We'll probably take 15 to 18 to 30. I don't know. It's probably 18 weeks to go through Ephesians or so. Um, But I just uh, wanted just to do a New Year's uh, message from Colossians 3, uh, one of my favorite. I always say that every Sunday, but... This week, it's my favorite. So if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, turn to Colossians 3. We're going to read verses 12 through 17 together. We'll cover more throughout the message. But to get us going, Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17, I'll read from the NLT. And it reads, Since God chose you to be holy people, he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and to always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with hymns, with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That's a brief prayer. God, thank you for your word. And thank you for your spirit that illuminates scripture for our understanding, Lord. We just um, are so thankful. And Lord, as we uh, discuss your word, will you just prepare our hearts to receive your word? Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, don't. And we'll be careful to give you the glory. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So as we approach the new year of 2024, uh, Like many of you, I was considering what kind of New Year resolution I should make, which I know many people, again, do. And I also know that many of you do not. You you specifically told me that you don't. And I I know that if we were to take a poll, we would find, I don't know, it's probably 50-50 in here, maybe 60-40 of who makes a New Year's resolutions. Um, But also, I know that some of you do so secretly. You told me. Um, that you do so secretly just in case you don't make it to January 14th. Um, but then on the opposite end, there are some who, who have a great list, who write it all over, share it all over social media, and everywhere in between. And I think part of the reason we make these kind of New Year's resolution is to make some kind of change. Uh, typically, a resolution includes adding something to your life, some sort of discipline, reading the Bible, going to the gym, some kind of thing that you add. On the other hand, a resolution also can include taking away something, taking away how many snacks you eat in the hour day, how much money you spend on coffee. Uh, Erica, who has the coffee trailer here um, at at Renew on Tuesdays through Saturdays. (laughs) That sounds like a plug. You should drink their coffee. It's delicious. She's not going to be here this week, and I asked her why, and she said no one buys coffee the first week. They think they can make their own coffee, which they do, and then they realize it's awful, or they're lazy. (laughs) So then they'll come back, (laughs) and I quote her. 
But during our Advent series that we, we've gone through uh, leading up to Christmas, can't believe Christmas late, was almost a whole week ago, uh, I was considering just that whole waiting. Advent means waiting and, or the arrival of, which means we're waiting. And now that, again, that Christmas has come and gone and we're preparing for a new year and then we're wrap, ramping up to make changes I do hope that while we are doing this, that in itself is a good thing, but while we're doing this, I hope in our preparation of making changes that we do so from the starting point of an attitude of thankfulness and not rush to make changes only from a place of disappointment. And I say that because there's so much that God has done in your life this past year and there's so much to be thankful for. And yes, there's tons of things that are hard and you didn't like, I didn't like. But if we're making changes from a place of thankfulness, then we are starting from a place where Christ has left us from one year to the next year. I, I appreciated what Oswald Chambers wrote. I just read this last night. Nellie and I read this last night. And from his utmost, from his, for his highest, he, he, he wrote, leave the broken irreversible pass in his hands and step out into the invincible future with him. And that's so good. There's so much brokenness that if we are honest in the year that we would go back and, oh, I wish I could have done that different. And you can learn from it, but if you dwell on so much of the past of what you should have, could have, would have done, then you, you do, we can miss out on thankfulness. I know that I do. Uh, if I start to complain of what should have happened, I'm not being thankful. But whatever you decide to do in your changes that you, that you decide to make, re, re, be reminded of what we have read from Colossians 3, that we are living a new life in Christ for those of us who are believers and followers of Christ. That automatically should have us start from a point of thankfulness. And again, if we're only trying to make changes out of disappointment, then we're just trying to avoid a disappointment altogether. So living a new life in Christ, and in this new year, I hope that as a church, as a renewed church, as a body in Christ, that we continue to grow, to live for God, to love God. I hope that some of our changes or resolutions that we make are not only self-serving, but also for the church body and for the community. And don't get me wrong, it's great to probably eat less chocolate, notice I said probably, but that's all self-serving for me. But some changes where do I have a heart for you. Do, you, do I have a heart for the community? Do I have a heart for the loss? And although we are not going to go through Colossians uh, completely, I do want to give a little bit of background. Don't worry, Colossians will be heavily sh shown up in Ephesians when we go through it. <clears throat> same author, God, of course, and, and uh, same penmanship from Paul. But just to wrap our minds around what's going on whenever he says, clothe yourself. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae, which is a church that he's never actually attended. He's never visited. Uh, the guy who started Ephorus, um, Ephorus, he started this church out of being converted when Paul was in Ephesians. And Paul is writing to this church. It's a new church. And it's made up of not only Jewish believers, it's also made up of Gentiles and a whole bunch of people from a whole bunch of different backgrounds because Colossae was this community where it was a crossroads where lots of traffic was happening and it's a new church. And they were really trying to serve one another, reach the lost, but they just didn't get along because their backgrounds were so different. 
So different. And while he is writing this letter, he's writing this letter during his first imprisonment in Rome, attached to a guard. Imagine this. Be kind as he's attached to a guy. I just, be, you be kind. Do as I say, not as I do. And then, I can't stand this guy. The tradition uh, suggests that Paul converted over at least, the number's 22, 22 guards during the time that they were chained to him. How could you not? So he's writing this to a church that's brand new, that is having some difficulty getting along. Shocker, a church getting, having difficulty getting along. But also to a church that there was this influence, this, this Gnostic belief that Jesus was not who he said he was. He, he wasn't God, no deity. They said that simply he was um, only a good teacher. He was a good man or a smart rabbi or something along the line. So they're, they're fighting and wrestling with true theology, real belief in Jesus Christ, all while trying to get along, all while trying to make a difference in the world. Nothing new under the sun, right? So as we consider this, as we consider going, leaving one year for the next year, I just titled it uh, New Year, Same God, because it really is. And, and I just want to read verse 12 again, and then we're just going to take some time just to consider what that means, and then we'll walk through it. Again, Colossians 3, verse 12 says, Since God chose you to be holy people, he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Just the, the, see the command, the imperative, you must. You must clothe yourself. See, in the opening of chapter 3, Paul has given us a list of all these sins that first we must put to death. I do find it interesting that Paul lists out several sins that needs to be dealt with, that gives a list on and on and on, and then also a list of what we must clothe ourselves into. It's not only putting to death the sin, but there must be a change. See, what Paul is saying is, uh, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, sin no longer reigns in your life, or it shouldn't. But be mindful that it does remain. There is remains. There is hints. That's why it's so easy to fall back into temptation, to fall back into sin of the past. But once you're a believer in Christ... Christ has dealt with that. And you have been delivered from sin because of Christ and that you are a new creation. You should be free and motivated to fight against the remnants of sin, which is still part of our life. And I thought that it would be helpful for us this morning that as we do an inventory of our lives, which is pretty common to do at the end of the, of the year, or um, just, just considering as you're taking this inventory that to consider not only taking away the bad stuff in your life, but making sure that we do add the good things. For those of you who have grown up with a Christian background and depending on the church or the home you grew up in, there was a large emphasis on the things you should not do. At least that was for me. That's how I grew up. All the do's. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I'm not exaggerating. There are songs, you probably know the songs, of not doing that. Congratulations, Dallas Jackson, you're a follower of, a Christ, follower of Christ, here is your list. Not quite literally, but pretty close. 
I do know just growing up, uh, for me personally, that one of the big things that my mom had, don't do this, don't do that. There was rules. She was a working mom, didn't have a dad. So I'm going to work. It's summertime. Here's all the do nots. And here's the three things you can do. That's, that's how it was, at least for me. And, and there's wisdom in not doing those things. But I, do, I would suggest that we do have to be careful that we don't just remove sin, just not a list of do nots. And just quickly, here are the things that Paul introduces uh, uh, that we should not do. This is uh, earlier in Colossians 3, 5 through 9. I'm going to go through it quickly. He says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. He doesn't say get rid of them. He says, put to death, kill, destroy. Don't keep it in your back pocket. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. You see, that? that's the list of do not do this. Remember, this is a new church with new Christians. It's not a, a church plant, if you will, where there's been these veteran Christians that's starting, and they're all new. They're probably only three years new in the faith. And the first thing in, in chapter 3 is he's saying, you got to put to death all of these sinful things. But if we're just looking at removing these things as Christians, I would say, I would suggest it's easy to get proud of the things you do not do. Well, I don't do that. Well, I don't watch that. I don't read that. I don't fill in the blank. Well, I definitely don't do that. You just list off all of these sins that you do not do. But you see what Paul is telling us here is you simply can't just take off the bad you have to put to death those things. Paul is telling the reader not only to take those sins off, but you need to put something on. The way you live your life is important. God did not send his son just simply to die for our sins so we believe so we get to heaven. He did do that, but he also wants us to live a life that represents him. Be holy as he is holy. Again, you're not trying to earn your salvation. You're just trying to be faithful as you witness to the world. Your witness should not only look like a list of things you do not do. Your list should include the way that you treat other people and the way that you serve someone else. Uh, at some point, I, I had a pastor professor that um, he would always say these little one-liner or two-liners that I just wrote down. And... Uh, well, he also said, and, and he was teaching and, and was a pastor in his late 70s. Uh, he actually, until his 80s, until uh, Jesus took him home. But he mentioned this, and I wrote it down, one of the things that he said. There are a lot of Christians walking around without any clothes on. And then we all looked at him like, weirdo. And he said, spiritual clothes. There are a lot of Christians walking around without any clothes on, spiritual clothes. And then he read Colossians 3. To his point, he was talking about all the things that they don't do, but we're not putting on things. It's like the preteen boy who takes a shower and then puts on dirty clothes. 
Don't pretend, if you're a guy in here, don't pretend you never did that. Don't look away. Just kidding. Well, I have, okay? So whatever. You know, you, you, you just, you, you're just putting on this, this clothes. Spurgeon said it this way, don't ever be tempted to put on your old grave clothes. Leave them in the tomb where Christ rescued you. And then we go on, you are to put on the new robes, the new garb. So quickly, let, let's just take a look at how Paul tells us to put on these things. And what I, what, hopefully what, what I, I, I'm hoping to get out of here is notice the action that he's asking us to do. Notice that it's taking steps, putting on. It's just like putting on. It's the same Greek word of putting on the full armor of God found in Ephesians 6. And not to borrow from tomorrow's sermon or later on this year's sermon. But the, the armor that we put on is the armor for battle in the world. But the, what we need to put on as a family is clothing, this gentleness. You do not need to put on this full armor to battle one another. But which side note, the armor of God in Ephesians is similar to the description of how Isaiah described God coming down. I just got to read that to you because I like it. Isaiah 59, verse 16 and 17. So just quickly, Isaiah is just prophesying that God's going to come and intervene. Um, he's sending down his son. And this is what he says. He was amazed, he being God, to see that no one was intervening to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm. And his justice sustained him. He put on... Righteousness as body armor and placed a helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in cloak in a cloak of divine passion. So this this picture, and it's also the picture in Revelation when he when Christ returns, but it's putting on, it's being purposeful to do it. And he says, Since God has chosen you to be holy people, he loves you, you must clothe yourself with tender hearted mercy, kindness, humility gentleness. And again, this clothe yourself in Greek means to get dressed. But it also specifically means, if you want to do an actual literal translation, it means sink into your clothing. Sink into your clothing. You're putting on your clothing, your clothes, and you're sinking in so much that it's becoming a part of you. It's not a foreign object any. It's, you're wearing these articles of clothing so much so that it molds into you. Does anyone have a good pair of shoes that they just like to wear because they just fit? That's what he's talking about. You're just, it just goes together. Now, as I was considering this, I was thinking in cartoons, I guess, word picture. I was thinking of when a little girl wears her mom's dress when she's little. It's big, doesn't fit, but it's cute, right? Or perhaps the... A little boy is walking around in his dad's shoes or boots. That's cute, right? But at some point, as you get older, you have to wear your own clothing. You have to make this relationship that you have your own. It would be awkward if you came outside wearing your dad's clothes, even if you're the same size, I guess. But this description that Paul is using is one of clothing. He's describing putting on the new clothes like garments. But first, we, again, we have to take off all the bad stuff, all the old stuff. And on a practical level, when you put something new on, even if you get it tailored, even if it's a suit, 
even if it's size just for you, new things feel different. And it can feel awkward. But the more you wear it, the more you get used to the routine, the more comfortable you feel in it. Again, going back and quoting that pastor that I had, the professor, he said, sometimes people only wear their T-shirts when they show up to church. It's like cardboard. It doesn't fit. It's stiff. It doesn't fit in the shoulders right. So again, just imagine that you have this new shirt and it's uncomfortable, just new, and you just put it in the closet several weeks at a time and then you pull it out and it's uncomfortable. Really, this description of putting on is that it fits you because you've worn it before. So let's just go through these items that he's asking us to put on. The first thing that he mentions is tender-hearted mercy. Clothe yourself in tender-hearted mercy. The actual translation is the bowels of mercy, the pit of your stomach, mercy. See, during the first century, people thought that their stomach was where all their emotions came from. It makes sense, right? When you get nervous, what begins to hurt? Your stomach, right? If I randomly ask someone to come up here and share a story, who would hear starts, who would just run away, honestly? But you get butterflies in your stomach. You know, I, I stole this from someone, someone... Uh, Quite frequently, people ask, do you still get nervous to preach? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. That little walk, I tell you, is, is, is awful. And they, do you get butterflies? Yes, but now they fly in formation. Like, I, I'm used to them. But it, it's the pit of the stomach of where it, where it comes from. So these feelings of compassion, this mercy comes from deep within. So what Paul is saying, if, if you're getting dressed... The very first thing you put on is your shirt. And this shirt needs to be one that you choose mercy every day. Just like you put on your shirt every day, you must choose to put on mercy every day. And the word mercy means offering forgiveness or relief of punishment deserved. So every day, from the pit of your stomach, Paul is saying, you must choose mercy before something happens. Paul is telling the church, you guys come from so many different backgrounds, and if you're going to, if you assume you're going to be offended, you will be. You have to choose mercy. You have to choose before someone does something wrong to forgive them. You know, the first thing you put on this shirt and you're going to start from a place that you are choosing to extend mercy. When you, dro when you drove in this morning to church, choose mercy. When you wake up in the morning and you didn't get along with your husband or wife the night before, choose mercy. When you wake up in the middle of the night and you're still upset with your kids or your dog or your neighbor, choose mercy. He, he's describing this as you have to put this on. First, then he's telling the church, he's telling us, then kindness, put on. Remember, this has to put on. Perhaps if, if you're not naturally inclined to be kind, this might, I just said, these are pants. And if you're not naturally a kind person, kindness may feel like old corduroy pants. Anyone ever have those before? Want to admit it? Okay. Anyone wearing them right now? Wanna? It's good. No. <laughs> It may feel scratchy. It may not feel comfortable for you. You're choosing kindness. It's not being nice. Kindness and nice are not the same thing. Nice means you're agreeable. You don't have to be agreeable for everything. 
That's one of the lies I think that we're, we can see as Christians when we're responding to the world as being nice. So just be nice to the person. No. Be kind. You don't have to be agreeable. But you can be kind. You are choosing that regardless of how the other person responds, you are going to treat them with kindness. You know those people who are so naturally kind that they, they're just so perhaps soft-spoken that you just want to be around them. When they hug you, they won't let go. It's just warm. It's that kind of kindness that he's describing. You have to choose to be kind. The next thing he talks about is humility. And I do want to just spend a little bit of time on this a little bit more. For the longest time, in the Greek, there was no word for humility at all. Now, we have to remember that, that when Paul is writing this, he is in Rome. It's Roman-occupied. The Romans are in charge. And the Romans who spoke Greek had no word for humility at all. Eventually, in some play, at some point, I don't know which one, there's an argument between, the playwright wrote in a word and made up a word for humility. But it was a word to make fun of someone who was super passive. It wasn't until Christ came in, in, uh, and Christianity started to spread when, when Jesus began to teach on humility, specifically the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about meekness and humility. That's when it became a virtue. Because for the Romans, uh, success, flamboyance, pride, pound your chest, only look out for number one. But humility is the opposite. Humility is not that you beat yourself up. Not that you think that yourself is so lowly. It's just that you, as C.S. Lewis said, you just think of yourself less often. And then the false sense of humility is when someone says, hey, great job when you fill in the blank and you say, oh, no, I'm really not that great. You got A+. Plus. You're lying. You know you did a good job. Say thank you. So how does this fit in the church? Okay, perhaps maybe we can understand, yes, I have to, we have to choose this tender-hearted mercy. We have to extend mercy. And yes, we have to be kind. That's a virtue. We can't just fly off the handle. But how does humility, how, putting on humility, I just put on socks. I just said put on socks. Because, and the reason I just wrote socks is because socks is traditionally not what people see but it's what people smell. It's true. You can smell someone who is not humble a mile away. You could see that. It's unseen. It's the work work that you do when it's just between you and the Lord. It's the work that, that when you're reading the Bible that it's just for you, that you don't have to go and brag that you read through the Bible 15 times this year or whatever it is. Again, the, 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 the Romans did not believe that humility was a virtue. It was a weakness. And then Christ comes and says, no, it's the opposite. And you have to put it on. You, you have to um, choose to pick other people over yourself. I know as, as a father, um, raising children and finding the balance between where you want to tell them, yes, you can do it, where you also want to say, you're not gifted. Finding that balance of you can do everything that you're called to do, but you cannot do the things that you're not called to do. 
Finding that balance. And then whenever they do a good job, congratulations, you got an A+. Plus, or you won the race. Or you fill in the blank. How do you find that balance of saying good job, but don't let it go to your head? And that's what Paul is warning. And I would suggest that the lack of humility that comes into any church or any person is the slow decay of what tears us apart in our relationship. The next thing he tells us to clothe ourselves on is gentleness. And I just wrote down shoes because I like comfortable shoes. But gentleness, actually, the word he uses in Greek is meekness. And meekness is not weakness. It is great power under control. It's like uh, the, uh, the description here in the original Greek is, is a horse that is tamed. When you get a horse that has been broken, you don't want the horse to be wild anymore, but you also don't want the horse to lose its strength. You don't want your horse to no longer be a horse. You don't want men to no longer be men. You don't want women no longer to be women, but you want it to be under control. The other example that I often use is a fire hydrant. So much power, so much water pressure, yet kept under control. But when the firefighters go to the hydrant, they don't want to trickle. You don't want to trickle if your house is on fire. It's all of this power and strength kept under control. This meekness, this gentleness. Specifically, it's related to your spiritual giftedness. It's related to the way that you serve the church the body, do you serve in such a way that is gentle? Or do you feel the need to flex your muscle, your strength every time? Again, we're not looking for wimpy Christians. We are looking for Christians who don't need to flex their muscle at every opportunity to show how strong they are. It's their response to. And then patience or forbearance or long-suffering and this may shock you, but being around people requires patience. <laughs> Putting up with disappointment. Do you, it's interesting, as I was reflecting on this word long-suffering, how many times I have heard and even said myself, I would not put up with that. You should not put up with that. What does that actually mean? You should not put up with that. It's easy to get up, set, and leave. And throw up your hands. Part of being a patient person, forbearance, patience, long-suffering. I really like that word. Long-suffering means exactly what it means. You're going to suffer for a long time when you're around people. It's going to be a challenge. But every confrontation that you have should not end in a loss of relationship. Granted, yes, there are times that where the relationship needs to end, um, where it needs uh, the relationship no longer will go back to it. It's not about forgiveness. We'll talk about that in the moment. But every confrontation should not end in a loss of relationship. And to be very practical and very real, if you get upset at the church, you shouldn't just leave. I mean, if there's a biblical thing, if I go nuts or whatever, then, I mean, there's elders here that, you know, they'll put me down. I don't mean to put me down. <laughs> Never mind. John, don't shoot me. <laughs> Sorry. You know, take me off the stage. But I'm just saying every 
confrontation should not end in a relationship because this is what was happening in Colossae. There was this moment in this church, and we know from tradition, that there almost was a church split, shocker, over Jews and Gentiles. The Jewish people felt like the Gentiles needed to become Jewish before they were Christians. And then the Gentiles felt like the Jewish people were too strict. And then there's that whole conversation in Acts between Peter and this whole discussion. But this church was one of the first churches outside of the church in Acts, outside of Rome, where there was almost a split even before they began. It was almost as if you should go start your own church, do your own thing. You be Jewish Christians, we'll be Gentile Christians. But there was patience, and that's why Paul is saying it's long-suffering. You need to choose to be in this in the long haul. Again, remember, we were talking about the church, but this would apply in your life. I would suggest, too, you cannot put on these clothing. uh, You cannot put these on one at a time only for church. You need to uh, exhibit this in your family, uh, in your job, in the community that you serve. So that way, when we all get together as one body, it's natural we are putting on the clothes that we've worn all week because we're comfortable in our long-suffering throughout the week. The description, again, is putting on these clothes. And, and then after this, after Paul gives this description of putting on clothes, he gives the big why. And one of the reasons why he, he talks about putting on clothes is at this time, obviously everyone wore clothes, but the people who didn't have a lot would see all of the rich people and they would see these magnificent clothes. And it was a little bit different because it had to be very practical. Uh, but he's talking about, here's all the reasons why you should do it. First, you, you get rid of, you put to death all of the sin that you used to do before you came to Christ. Second is here are the things that you need to do in order to be in relationship with the community to reach the world. And here's the why in verse 13. In Colossians 3, he says, he goes on and says, and when you put this on, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Stop right there. I'm getting ahead of myself. Make allowance for each other's faults. You know what that means? That means you are already paying the tab up front before someone purchased it. You are already putting the money on the table saying, I'm already purchasing, I'm already forgiving, I'm already giving an allowance. And no, this is not so that way you could be just picked on or, or, or be doorposts and just allow it. It just means when you show up to church, when you wake up in the morning, you are already choosing to pay in advance the forgiveness of someone before they ever said anything or did anything wrong. And it says, and forgive anyone who offends you. And the reason why? Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You have to. Doesn't doesn't say you got to go be BFFs with them. Doesn't say that. It says in advance you choose to forgive. And then in verse 14 he closes it out above all clothe yourself with love. The description is putting on this belt, this garter. That's what they that's what all the people would wrap themselves on. And and if you're I know I forgot patience is I just said jacket. And this is your belt. 
which binds them all together, this love that binds them all together. It's agape love. It's God's love that binds us all together in perfect harmony. See, if we're all doing this each and every time we get together in our families, in our work, when we're all together, when we're serving the community, then we are prepared to serve people. We're not looking out for ourselves of what we get. And we're doing it in this harmonious path together. And in verse 15, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. In verse 17, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, if we really took this to heart, if, if we really thought, okay, in this new year, I'm going to put on some clothing. I'm going to be tenderhearted, merciful. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be full of humility. I'm going to be gentle meekness. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wrap this all up in love, God's love of forgiveness. I'm going to forgive people. We're going to come together and I'm always going to be thankful. What a change that would make in your life, in my life, and in our lives together collectively. Always be thankful. You know, part of, part of the things that when you're an anxious person, if you're an anxious person, you can't be anxious and praise at the same time, like chemically in your brain. Like you can go back and forth. You can have an ADHD moment and go back and forth. But truly, if you are in a position that where you're just feeling overwhelmed and anxious, especially going into the new year, just begin just to praise the Lord. And you can even begin by simply saying, Lord, thank you. And I praise you that you showed me tenderhearted mercy. That you showed me kindness. Lord, I praise you because you are so full of humility, you came down to me. And you're such a gentle God. Lord, thank you so much for your patience with me. Lord, I thank you. Will you help me love other people? Lord, I need your peace that comes only from you. Lord, I, I want to live in that peace. And I want to forgive. Like if, if that's your mindset, if you're an anxious, if you get anxious, if, if you just simply take that back, you, you again, chemically, emotionally, spiritually, you, you can't be thanking God and being worried at the same time. And then again in verse 17, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I just want to close out um, by talking about Corey Ten Boom and I've read the story. This story is maybe familiar to many of you, and, and I was going to consider just telling you this story, but I think I'm going to read it because the way that she writes um, just puts into words exactly, I think, in a good way, just as we close out this year, as we're considering putting on this new clothing, and perhaps it's clothing that we're used to, or maybe it's been a long time since we've put on kindness or something. I just think this sums it all up, specifically choosing forgiveness. And I'll read Corey Ten Boone's words. And just in case you don't know who she is, she was a, 
a Dutch lady that her family had hid Jewish people in their home. They were watchmakers and uh, they were found out and her family was sent to a concentration camp and her and her sister were separated from the rest of her family. Her sister dies in, in the camp and eventually she um, gets out after the war. And then she spends the rest of her life talking about forgiveness and teaching. And this is a story that she tells. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him. A bald, heavyset man in a gray overcoat. A brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. Moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947 and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was, the tr- it was the truth they needed most to hear in that bittered, bombed out land and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collecting their wraps, in silence they left the room. And that's when I saw him. Working his way forward against the others, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the the piles of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could never see I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrusted out. A fine message, Fenelon. How good it is to know that you, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so ghibli of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place, could ease her slow, terrible death simply for asking. 
It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men of their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespassers. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but also a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to also return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what their physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. Lord, you supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrusted my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hand. The former guard and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in the hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned at 80 years of age is that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God each day. Clothe as he told me to clothe. Each piece Every day. So as we make our New Year's resolutions, as we consider God's forgiveness, as we consider what Paul has written, I just love the story of forgiveness. It gets me every time, but specifically, I love the end. Clothe as he told me to, to each day. Every day, choose to put on these clothes until they become so comfortable to you that without them, you would notice that there's a lack of tenderhearted mercy and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. God is so gracious. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love and um, thank you that um, we have your word. Thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing scripture to life. Thank you for stories of forgiveness like Corey ten Boone. And thank you for the reminder that that forgiveness is infinitely more of what the forgiveness that you have for us. So Lord, as we are leaving 2023, will you help us leave this year with a heart of thankfulness? And Lord, there may have been hard things, and there were hard things, and troubling things, and 
Lord, will you just help us um, not attempt to put the grave clothes back on? Will you help us leave them in the grave and put to death all of the sin? But not just stay there, Lord, with a list of things we do not do any longer, but will you help us put on mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience? Will that be our, our banner this year? Lord, will you help us make allowance for each other's faults and to forgive anyone who offends us right up the front, right up front, Lord? And will you help us clothe ourselves in love? And will you bind us all together in perfect harmony, as your word says, not just here at Renew, but just as the body of Christ, as part of your kingdom? Will you help us be thankful? Will you help us be good representatives of you? Lord, as we sing more songs to you, you deserve so much more than our songs and praises, Lord, but you receive them. So Lord, will you help us close out this year and begin the new year in light of the gospel? And Lord, I pray for anyone in here who does not know this love of yours, this forgiveness, this understanding. I pray that today is the day. So Lord, as we sing songs to you, we just love you and we praise you with thankful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.